This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where there's some encouraging news on COVID-19. The state reported almost 8,900 new cases Monday. That may sound awful, but it's actually the smallest daily increase in almost three weeks. Mike Pence comes to the University of Miami to announce the start of clinical trials for a vaccine. Today, I said, is a, is a great day in America. Uh, the first phase three clinical trial for a coronavirus vaccine. The VP says schools and colleges are ready to reopen for the fall semester, but officials at the United Faculty of Florida say no, they're not. It is wrong for our officials to play a game of Russian roulette with our lives. In the midst of this pandemic, state and local elder care organizations are scrambling to serve seniors without infecting them, and they're just as worried about their mental health as their physical well-being. As the number of COVID-19 cases increase, so does the associated anxiety. This potentially puts older adults at risk of developing serious illnesses. Addressing the mental health effects of COVID-19 are as essential as the physical effects. So how do you keep seniors engaged? Two words, goodie bags. Today on the Sunrise Soapbox, State Representative Geraldine Thompson explains why she's suing the Judicial Nominating Commission and the governor over one of his new appointments to the Florida Supreme Court. She says they violated the Constitution because the judge isn't legally qualified to serve on the high court yet and won't be for two more months. We need an independent, autonomous judiciary, and I think uh, we're moving in the wrong direction. We're going down a very dangerous path uh, with this particular appointment. Thompson also claims the commissions that nominate judges have become politicized to the point where they become a sham and a farce. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and check in with a Florida man who told police his secret identity. I'm Batman. It might have worked if he had the right costume, but this Florida man was naked at the time. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, July 28th. Vice President Mike Pence visits the University of Miami to take part in a roundtable discussion on coronavirus and to announce the start of clinical trials at the university. Today, I said, is a, is a great day in America. Uh, the first phase three clinical trial for a coronavirus vaccine. It begins here in Florida and in 89 different sites around the country. And it begins with the best uh, professionalism of our pharmaceutical companies in this country. American innovation, American creativity it begins with the hopes and I know the prayers of the American people. And uh, I'm convinced more than ever on this great day, but we'll get through this. We will reach that day. I truly believe, as Dr. Fauci said not long ago, not if, but when we will have a vaccine. We'll have it available to distribute to tens of millions of Americans and we'll reach that day when we finally can begin to put this coronavirus in the past. Dr. Suzanne DeBlicky-Lewis will be leading those trials at the University of Miami. We're incredibly excited to begin this process um, here at the University of Miami. And we're really amazed and humbled by the number of volunteers who have already stepped forward uh, to, to be a part of this trial. And it's these volunteers who will make the difference and will allow us to know whether we do have a, an effective, safe vaccine that can move forward. We'll plan to enroll 1,000 patients here. 500 will get the vaccine um, and 500 will get placebo. We'll follow those patients very carefully for two years after 
the second injection of the vaccine. The vaccine consists of uh, two injections spaced 28 days apart. And we'll be following extremely carefully, checking for any symptoms of potential COVID disease um, and performing follow-up swabs and assessments to make sure that we completely understand the efficacy of the vaccine. Time, of course, is of the essence in the search for an effective vaccine, but FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn promises they will not take any shortcuts. It is a true sign of America's great biomedical research enterprise that we find ourselves here today. Normally, this process would take months and years. Um, it's the dedication of great medical professionals and researchers that we've gotten to this point. Conducting clinical trials are a crucial piece of our efforts to approve a vaccine for COVID-19. And I want to thank the Americans who have stepped forward to volunteer for these trials because they are our true heroes as we evaluate the efficacy and safety of a, of a, uh, of a vaccine. Now, the important scientific data that we will get from the phase three clinical trials will allow FDA to do its important work to determine whether a vaccine is safe and effective. FDA scientists will not cut corners in order to evaluate a medical product, and that includes a vaccine. And I know that our colleagues performing these clinical trials want to have and must have confidence that we will do that as we evaluate the data that they generate for that vaccine. It's these scientists who will call the balls and strikes on approving a vaccine, and they will make their decisions based upon the data and science that's generated from these clinical trials. During his time in Florida, Vice President Pence also opined that schools and colleges are champing at the bit to reopen in the fall semester. My pledge to the people of Florida, especially to parents and grandparents who may have concerns, is that we're going to make sure Florida and every other state across the country has the resources to be able to bring the kids back to school safely. And we know there's additional costs. It's one of the reasons why President Trump is calling for a new $105 billion from the Congress that will make available $70 billion to be distributed just for K-12 education and the rest for higher education. Uh, we understand that, that uh, making sure that there's social distancing and making sure there's cleaning supplies and PPE have real costs. And, and we're going to work with governors like your governor all around the country to make sure that those resources are available. We're going to go to Congress as we are this week to make sure states have the resources to be able to do that. But President Trump and I both believe, I know your governor believes, that it's, it's best for our kids to get them back to school. It's best for our college kids to get them back on campus to start learning again, and we really do believe that we can do it in a safe and responsible way. But the union that represents college professors doesn't buy that one bit. Karen Morian is president of the United Faculty of Florida, and they're asking the governor to stick with distance learning for now and not reopen campuses for the fall semester. We are concerned that the institutional plans were developed six to eight weeks ago when COVID-19 conditions in Florida were decidedly different than today. And the majority of those plans have not been updated to address our state's current pandemic conditions. While we understand the decision to allow colleges and universities to each develop their own reopening plans, they showed too many common shortcomings with regard to personal health and safety, as well as student academic success and mental health support. The most important issue for us, as for everyone, is preventing the spread of COVID-19. But it is disturbing to us that only 11% of these institutions have created plans for additional support for students if they are required to quarantine or if their professors are. We want to reopen our campuses, but more importantly, we want them to remain open in the long term. Therefore, 
after reviewing the latest information available and after serious deliberation, we now call on the governor, the commissioner of education, the chair of the board of governors and the chancellor of the college system to issue directives similar to the ones they issued mid-semester in March to move all of Florida's institutions of higher education to remote learning for the fall semester. Marcus Villani is an undergrad at the University of Florida in Gainesville. He says their reopening plan is dangerous. I am horrified that UF is considering reopening. If the administration carries out this reckless plan, they will be endangering the lives of immunocompromised and vulnerable students. Additionally, following the current trends of COVID-19 cases, college-aged individuals are the most likely to catch and spread the disease. Gainesville is a city in which thousands of workers will have to come into continuous contact with UF students. So the administration's plan to reopen is deadly, not only to students, but also to those who operate the dining halls, restaurants, grocery stores within our community. Sadly, with the way the University of Florida is approaching reopening, their planning reminds me more of a hedge fund trying to salvage its loss in profits rather than an institution dedicated to education and research. UF is ignoring the science. Andre Poole is a professor at Florida Atlantic University. He's also the president of the FAU chapter of the faculty union. FAU is a diverse campus. 50% of the student body is made up of students of color. And as an African-American male, I know firsthand talking to other people of color, how we feel, who feel, and I'm, I have to make this clear, we feel that politicians and corporations are rushing to reopen at our expense. Blacks and Latinos are at greater risk and represent a large number of confirmed cases with more Blacks dying at a higher rate. COVID-19 is a deadly virus that has killed more people of color under age 65 across this country. What is my life worth? And what is the life worth of one of my students of color? The mental and emotional stress is growing among the university community and folks are hesitant to return to campus. I understand that there are economic concerns for the university and surrounding communities, but politics is at play here in so many ways from Tallahassee, local governments who care more about political polls and making money than putting human life first. It is wrong for our officials to play a game of Russian roulette with our lives. We must not open back up at the expense of the health and safety of our FAU community, our faculty, and our students, and our staff. 77 more fatalities were reported by the Health Department Monday, increasing the statewide death toll to 6,049. Almost 433,000 Floridians have been infected by the virus. Healthcare workers in Miami-Dade are pleading with the governor to impose a mandatory mask rule. Martha Baker is a registered nurse who runs the union that represents more than 5,000 employees at Jackson Memorial Health. We're asking today for Governor DeSantis to become the leader we need him to be and stand up at this pandemic time and have with consistency a strategic plan to battle COVID-19 and win for the sake of our patients, and our caregivers and everyone in our community. First is please mandate masks. Where some people are believing it's a hoax, we need people to believe in the science 
and to follow through on the strategies that will allow us to dampen this rise in COVID in not only Dade County, but in our state, in our country, and this world. So please, uh, Governor DeSantis, honor the mask. Let's deal with the science. And it would be ideal if we could get uh, testing done and uh, tracers done to actually identify where this virus is hanging out and how we can put an end to it once and for all. We are uh, the richest country on earth, and I expect more from our leaders that I'm seeing right now. Seniors have been hit hard by the COVID crisis, and we've all been warned to stay at home if we can. But Lisa Bretz with the Agency on Aging for North Florida says the isolation can lead to all sorts of mental health issues. During the pandemic, we have had to work together to innovate the way that we deliver services. All of our senior centers and meal sites have had to shut down face-to-face -face activity because staff and volunteers cannot interact with seniors as they normally would, there is a concern about the effects of ongoing social isolation. Their effects, in many cases, also result in loneliness. As the number of COVID-19 cases increase, so does the associated anxiety. This potentially puts older adults at risk of developing serious illnesses. Addressing the mental health effects of COVID-19 are as essential as the physical effects. The fear and anxiety surrounding the uncertainty about COVID-19 has been overwhelming for all of us. Taking care of yourself, your friends, family, and loved ones can assist in coping with stress. That's why along with our partners, we came up with the idea to distribute activity bags to all of our homebound seniors. We want to keep them engaged while they're at home. One of the most important items in this bag today is our Talk It Out flyer, developed by the Florida Department of Elder Affairs, and offers seniors tips and contacts to vital services and mental health providers. Our collective goal is to ensure that their mental health and well-being during these difficult times is taken care of. Jocelyn Flieger is president and CEO of Elder Care Services, and they've had to do a lot of improvising during the COVID crisis. Before COVID, dedicated Meals on Wheels volunteers delivered a hot, fresh meal to homebound seniors every weekday. Not only were they bringing essential nutrition to these clients, they also provided necessary human contact. Often, these committed volunteers were the only person that that client saw that day. Since the onset of the pandemic, we have switched to producing frozen meals so we can increase production and serve a growing number of seniors homebound due to the COVID crisis. To give you some perspective on how many more meals we are serving, from March 4th to July 10th, we delivered 54,451 meals. That's an increase of more than 12,000 meals compared to the same time last year. For the safety of everyone involved, We've also limited the amount of time our volunteers are able to engage with clients. Our amazing Meals on Wheels volunteers, many of whom are seniors themselves, now must limit their time with their clients for the sake of social distancing. To compensate for this reduced social contact, we've ramped up our already existing telephone reassurance program so staff can ensure that our clients are making contact with at least one person each day. Studies have shown how detrimental social isolation is, even comparing its physical effects with those of smoking. So we can understand how important it is to reach our senior clients even during a pandemic. We've made more than 5,600 calls so our clients can maintain those social contacts and so they know they have a shoulder to lean on. 
The goodie bag initiative is right in line with how we address social isolation in our other programs. These goodie bags will boost the spirits of seniors in our community who are sheltering at home. These bags, in conjunction with the thousands of meals that are delivered weekly by elder care and our army of community volunteers, work to ensure that the seniors in our community are taken care of nutritionally and mentally. Richard Prudhomme runs the Florida Department of Elder Affairs, and he says they're doing everything they can to stay in touch with seniors who are basically trapped inside their homes by the coronavirus. You know, a uh, hundred years ago when the Spanish flu was killing millions of people across the globe, the average life expectancy in the U.S. was 54 years old. Today it's 78.5. We're all living longer because 20th century medicine successfully contained infectious diseases. And as we know, the world of medicine is working to do the same with uh, COVID-19. As our senior population continues to increase, Florida's future is linked to the financial, health, and physical security of our elder population. We know that COVID-19 has a disproportionate impact on older adults. Adults over 65 comprise 13% of the positive tests, 50% of the hospitalizations, and yet 82% of the deaths. So reducing exposure for these older adults has been especially important, something the governor and his administration has focused on from day one. So accordingly, most older adults have been confined to their homes because of executive orders, community regulations, or self-isolation. The very nature and pro of the programs and services provided to older adults in need, namely that they are home and community-based, means that reducing exposure by this social distancing has been challenging. Also, although these social and human services are not medical services, they are still very important as they support the health and well-being of our older Floridians. However, the aging network of 11 area agencies on aging, lead agencies and numerous providers throughout the state have met the challenge head on. And where home visits are no longer possible, they're making thousands of telephone calls, as you heard from Jocelyn, to check on homebound seniors and providing shopping assistance, as well as delivering groceries and medication and using telehealth uh, to provide much needed uh, counseling. We're also stepping up and providing meals and statewide, before the pandemic, over 45,000 meals a day were provided to uh, older adults throughout Florida. That number has increased exponentially to almost 200,000 a day, most of which are home delivered as older adults are confined to their homes. Still, the increased social isolation and loneliness and the impact on residents' mental health is concerning. And the aging network is working on increasing counseling and other mental health services, especially through telehealth, which is why we applaud you, our partners, for thinking outside the box and identifying other ways to keep seniors engaged from the safety of their homes. And one of those ways is the distribution of those goodie bags. And each is going to be customized with the recipient's local contact agency, which in this case will be elder care services, as well as numerous state and national phone numbers and, and also resources as well. Our message is that it is natural to feel grief, anxiety and stress which is why we are hoping this fly will connect seniors in need to the services that can really truly help them. We want them to pay attention to their emotions, notice and accept the ups and downs of how they feel. Experts do say that taking care of your emotional health will help you think clearly and react to the urgent needs to protect yourself and others. Self-care will help your long-term physical health, mental well-being, and behavioral health. And I think most importantly, it's okay to ask for help. The flyer lists a series of tips and numbers, and we encourage seniors who are feeling scared and alone just to pick up the phone to talk to one of these amazing volunteers that are out there engaged in helping them. Employees at the Department of Elder Affairs also chipped in, donating $3,000 out of their own pockets to help buy more of these goodie bags for seniors. 
Next up on the Sunrise Soapbox, an African-American lawmaker explains why she's gone to court to stop a black woman from joining the Florida Supreme Court. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the OPEN plan today at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. A Central Florida lawmaker is suing Ron DeSantis and the Judicial Nominating Commission over the governor's appointment of Renatha Francis to the Florida Supreme Court. The official announcement was made two months ago in Miami. Judge Francis will be the first Caribbean American to sit on the Florida Supreme Court. What the governor did not say at this press conference is that Judge Francis does not meet the minimum requirements for the job. The state constitution says justices of the high court have to be a member of the Florida Bar for at least 10 years, and Francis will not meet that requirement until September 24th. So Representative Geraldine Thompson of Windermere is suing DeSantis and the nominating commission for violating the constitution they swore to uphold. The focus really is on the rule of law. And the law, uh, according to the Florida constitution, indicates that no person is eligible for the Florida Supreme Court unless that individual is and has been, for the preceding 10 years, a member of the Florida Bar. And the Judicial Nominating Commission exceeded its authority when they nominated and sent forward a list of individuals that included a person who is ineligible based on the Constitution. That was in January. The governor compounded uh, that error by appointing an individual to the Florida Supreme Court who is ineligible based on the Florida Constitution. Now, when I uh, was elected to the legislature, I took an oath, raised my right hand. Uh, The governor did the same thing when he was elected uh, to his office, and we swore to uphold the Constitution. And this action is unconstitutional. And I think because I am sworn to uphold the Constitution when I see uh, this kind of error, I feel it necessary to intervene and to speak up. And therefore, I have filed uh, a suit against the JNC for exceeding uh, its authority. And the suit also names the governor who exceeded uh, his authority. Representative Thompson says this is a lot bigger than a single appointment. The Judicial Nominating Commissions used to be nonpartisan. Their job is to find the best legal minds to serve. But Republicans changed the law to allow the governor to appoint all of the commission members. So instead of the JNC telling the governor who the best candidates would be, you now have a governor telling the JNC who he wants to appoint and what their philosophy should be. Thompson says the independence of the court system is at stake. Since I've been in the legislature, there has been an attack on uh, the independence of the judiciary. And there were many people in the legislature who really wanted a rubber stamp uh, so that whatever went to the courts, they wanted the courts to then uh, just to ratify whatever decision that they had made. They did not want um, challenges. They did not want uh, divergent opinions. And so if you can stack the courts 
with people who have one particular ideology, one world viewpoint, uh, et cetera, then you get the result uh, that you want. The governor, shortly after he was elected, requested a meeting uh, with Senator Audrey Gibson, who is the Senate Democratic leader. And during the course of that meeting, the governor uh, stated that if he appointed an African-American to the Florida Supreme Court, it would have to be a person like Clarence Thomas, uh, someone that he got to know when he served in Congress, and someone that he indicated that he admired uh, greatly. Also, he looked to the Federalist Society. He's a member of the Federalist Society, as is uh, Justice Thomas. And it is those individuals from the Federalist Society who have been appointed to the judiciary uh, by the governor. I do not believe that being a member of the Federalist Society should be the litmus test for appointment to the Florida Supreme Court. Being someone in line with Clarence Thomas should also not be the litmus test for being appointed to the Florida Supreme Court. You should have judges who are on the court at every level who have the independence to make decisions based on the law and not based on some political agenda or some ideology. And so that is uh, my motivating reason for having filed the lawsuit. We need an independent, autonomous judiciary, and I think uh, we're moving in the wrong direction. We're going down a very dangerous path uh, with this particular appointment. Thompson's lawsuit is now at the Florida Supreme Court. DeSantis and the JNC have until August 3rd to provide a written response. Your calendar of events begins at 9 when the Revenue Estimating Conference meets to analyze issues related to the gross receipts tax and the communications services tax. The Southwest Florida Water Management District Governing Board meets at 9. The Department of Economic Opportunity holds a conference call at 11, about $80 million the feds have allocated for Florida to help local governments respond to COVID-19. The Board of Trustees at the College of the Florida Keys is holding an online meeting at 2. And finally today, we check in with a Florida man who lost his costume. Charlotte County deputies arrested 49-year-old Christopher Jackson outside a hotel in Inglewood Friday night. He was sitting at a table wearing absolutely nothing. And when they asked his name, all Jackson would say is, I'm Batman. Closed-circuit video showed him trying to open several doors at the hotel, and they found his clothing outside one of those doors, along with a glass pipe. He's charged with exposure, loitering, and prowling. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to tune in tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. <laughs>